Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Woodsick. This is episode 65 with Susie Lee. Susie is a visual artist and the CEO and founder of Siren, which is a socially evolved dating app with a feminist feel to it. It is my favorite dating app that I have ever used in terms of the format. And you may or may not know this about me, I have used a lot of dating apps. And so if you're looking for a new dating app, please check out Siren. You can learn more at www.siren.mobi. We'll have that link in the episode description, as well as Susie and Siren's uh, Twitter handles and whatnot. So check them out, interact with them on the social media sites, because social media is fun, isn't it? I love social media. Also want to wish a happy birthday on this post date to our associate producer, Olina Hodges, so grateful to have her on the team. She just, she makes it possible for us to sit down with a lot more folks, and I'm very grateful for her. This episode is sponsored by Second Street Hair Boutique, located in the heart of Langley on Second Street. These ladies know how to pamper you. They keep me looking good. So whether you live on Whidbey Island or you're coming up just for the weekend, please check out Second Street Hair Boutique, www.com. SecondStreetHairBoutique.com. And now, please enjoy episode 65 with Susie Lee. I'm thrilled to welcome Susie Lee to the podcast. Welcome! Hello, Katie. I'm glad to be here. We're going to talk about a bazillion things today, but let's start with your trajectory as a visual artist. Where did your love of art come from? Were you like the kid in preschool that was like, no, I have to have my Georgia O'Keeffe moment in the corner. All the other toddlers can't come talk to me. (laughs) Uh, Well, Katie, I think your readership should, or your listenership should know that um, I'm the oldest or the older daughter of Korean immigrant parents. So, no. <laughs> that was not the experience. All <laughs> that right. was not the experience. Um, I liked doing, you know, drawings in summer camp, but it was more to be well-rounded, right? So it's like, you know, to be a, a complete human being, you need to be able to have a little bit of sports and a little bit of art and a little bit of right. music and these things. Um, but to think of this as being, I'm going to be anything that's not a super standard profession was unthinkable. Right. So... And I don't, I mean, it's not even that I wanted to do it and then was like shut down. It just wasn't even something that was like, (laughs) never even occurred to me to do that. It'd be like saying someday you would like to be a circus performer. I know it. And then I'd be like, yes. And then they'd say, no, actually you're not like, (laughs) (laughs) um, so I actually very, um, for a very long time, I was the med school track. Really? Yes. When you say a long time, how long is a long time? My mom says that I declared it at five, that I was going to be a doctor. Wow. This was unwavering, and until I graduated from high school, so 17, 18. Okay. Went to college. Same thing, was going to do a pre-med thing, and then go to medical school, and then do a residency, and then I was off to the races. And then somewhere around my second year of college, I suddenly thought, I, I don't want, I'm not sure I want to do this, but that was, I think, and you know, maybe your listeners will relate to this is you kind of want to shut that voice up because it's a troublemaker. Right. And I thought, no, I always wanted to be a doctor. There's nothing else I could possibly be. I haven't even thought about anything, not even being a lawyer. So this has just got to be what I need to do. But I really was struggling to find um, what I wanted to do, find what I thought was my identity at the time. It felt like the culture of college wasn't what I really wanted. And I came from North Dakota, so, you know, there's a... Going from North Dakota to um, to Yale was uh, a serious culture. Oh, damn, you're at Yale when all this is happening. Yeah, I didn't even know was... Um, I didn't even know what crew was. <laughs> I was like, isn't that just a canoe, but just with more people? 
<laughs> or um, the other one was squash. Like, people would play squash. Oh. And I thought, that just looks like a really bad form of racquetball. <laughs> <laughs> so you're at Yale. You're having... I'm having some crises of identities. Right. And every year at the end of like my, my freshman year, I said I wanted to change majors. And at the time, my parents thought, oh, well, no. I mean, they weren't being like negative they just thought oh just 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 hang on to this it's a very practical major to be in science and then after the end of my sophomore year I said I wanted to take a year off and do like the Peace Corps or something yeah and then after my junior year I just thought I just really don't want to do this and I really felt like like I don't know like like my it was it was pointless which is ridiculous because of course there's a lot of privilege to obviously even being able to be a doctor right but when you're you know, 20 and you're not doing at all what you think you want to be doing, it just feels, mm. I don't know, it just feels like disheartening. Like I can really sympathize with uh, teenagers who, like when they think about wanting to end their life, it's because there's nothing else for them to grab onto. You know, there's right. no part of their experience that they can say, oh, but I know that there's actually this other alternative. There's really just usually one path that they've explored. So right around junior year, I decided what I was going to do was just take all the requirements that I needed to take and just blow it out so that my senior year, I would only take the classes that I wanted to take. Right. Bad plan. Very bad plan. (laughs) (laughs) My grades were tanked. I just completely tanked them. So I knew practically I couldn't even get into a medical school with those grades. So it was wow. almost like I subconsciously shot myself Made in the foot. Made that happen a little yeah. bit? Yeah. Like, not a good idea. I would never recommend to your listeners. <laughs> you know, when you don't want to do something, what you should do is self-sabotage. But that's what I did, and un- maybe even unintentionally. And um, But I was also tired, and I said, you know, I don't, wanna, um, I don't want to think about four years of college and then another four years of medical school and then, you know, two to four years of a specialty. And... Um, People forget that, you know, when you're in your 40s, two or three years looks like it's like just a a blink of the eye. But when you're 20, that's like two years is like, you know, 10% of your life. So when you think of it being like for the next eight to 10 years, I'm going to be in this track. You're talking about two, you know, like a third of your life that you know is going to be doing something you don't want to do. So I said, nope. Yeah. And, but you know, the only thing that I knew how to do was science. So what I said was I actually am going to be a teacher. So instead of doing, uh, you know, all this education, I would get a master's in teaching. It would be a year and a half. And then I would get out of the ivory tower and I would do something like real, like that had an impact. Right. And we fought, my parents and I fought, but it was the first time that I had ever really rebelled. So that whole teenage rebellion that everyone goes through, you know, I don't know um, how... It just, I, I'm, I'm covering my eyes with uh, my hands because it just sounds so much like my junior year a little bit and how, like, that that was the year I'm like, oh, wait, I get to make decisions about my life. Right. Like, right. I'm the one who gets to drive this car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, please go on. Well, it's even more like you just... I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't think it it was being rebellious even. I just said, I don't want to do this. I just don't want to do this. I want to do this other thing. And this thing isn't a horrible thing. I didn't decide to become a junkie, right? I I wanted to be a teacher, but I, and now looking back, I realized that, you know, my parents had these, they had an immigrant dream and there was nothing about what I had said before that made them think there was going to be a change to that dream. So all of a sudden to have their, pride and joy come home one summer and say, just kidding. I didn't actually apply to any med schools and I'm going to be a high school teacher. So not even like a university professor, right? Or something that they could kind of hold their hat on, but saying I wanted to be um, a science teacher at a public school was, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I mean, and not to just the high school teachers, but it was a little heartbreaking for them because the narrative was just so different. That's so. not what they were expecting and they, dreaming they, about exactly and then they didn't kind of buy into that and then of course you know you would think hmm you spend all that money you know going to this ivy league education to basically barely get paid as a public school teacher was a little like head scratching but i didn't I, of course being my age i was like this is what i'm gonna do so um and that's what i did 
And it was, I think, looking back, the impulse was right, right? Like my gut intuition just said, I need to do something else. I, um, you know, I was 21 and I look really young anyways. So I always looked like one of the students. Um, <laughs> but when I was teaching or when I was actually, sorry, when I was actually in the graduate program, you could think about education in a lot of different tracks. So you could say, do I want to go the private school route? Do I want to go public school, but a large public school? Do I want to go, um, sort of what they considered at the time inner city public schools? And this was in New York. And you looked at all of the different options and I had applied to different school jobs, including one of the top private schools. It was an all boys private school crazy <laughs> it smelled the school actually smelled like boys i don't know what it was i walked in and i was like whoa <laughs> um but interestingly enough just on a side tangent the younger boys because it was an all-boys school were far more affectionate to each other because there was not this like weird competition for anything else they were just kind of allowed to be boys which was right. interesting um and i've kind of always held that as this like you know Boys need a place to be vulnerable too, and absolutely this was one of those. Um, now, the high school boys in an all boys school, totally other story. Wow, yeah, and kind of like yeah, they were like kind of misogynistic at that time. What was that experience being up in front of them? And well, I was. Did you feel? I was oh, interviewing, you, okay. so I was just looking at the school, kind of like an anthropologist, going, "Do I want to do this?" And that's when I said, "No, I'm not sure this is for me." Right. And then, so I was like, I, and then I just thought, I, I know as someone who, you know, saw my parents really struggle, but say, you know, the American dream is also about being, you know, getting access to things like an education. It was in, it felt like an equalizing force. So I said, that's actually what I really want to do is to be able to say, if you get a great education and it's not necessarily even something about the school, like what you learn in school, but just understanding systems then you're giving people a way to navigate and have control of their life. So that's why I was like, I definitely want to do public schools. But then at the time in New York, they had this thing called the alternative school system. So if you, for example, had dropped out because you got pregnant or you, you know, didn't want to get your GAD, but you got kicked out of school, you were at Rikers, for example, um, they had these kind of other channels to say, here's your last shot to get a high school degree before you, um, you know, did whatever you needed to do, but it wasn't just a GED. And the school that I, um, went to was, um, I didn't know this at the time, but this, the uh, New York public school system had actually knocked them down because it was an all black and Hispanic school system. So all the teachers, all the staff and the students were black and Hispanic. And they said this was racist. That pause is a jaw drop collectively. <laughs> okay. And they're so, saying it's racist. And you, it wasn't allowed. So you had mm. to bring in non-black and Latino teachers. So we get hired not realizing that that was the case. And of course, when I look back, I'm sort of horrified, right? You're like, this was a very positive school for these kids. Um, the role models were all basically like you know, people that they could look up to and that they felt really comfortable with. And they with. could relate to. Exactly. They could see themselves. Yes. Them. And, yeah. and really just have like honest conversations about, you know, uh, like what does education mean even, you know, cause a lot of them, this was literally like the only other option or just dropping out of high school. Um, so they were angry. And at the time I was 22 or 23, I was completely naive and had no idea what I kind of walked into. And you know, I actually sort of like now cringe at the, you know, at the current conversations about kind of well-meaning white people. Right. Because I think I had that at the time, which was, you know, I was getting a little indignant going, you know, I'm just trying to do a good job for these kids and everything. So, you know, it's, wh wh why are you getting all like up in my face? You know, I'm just trying to do a good job, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> not realizing the larger context. And again, if you think about where I was coming from, it's like North Dakota and then Yale, Yale. and then doing this, it was like, yeah, there was a lot of things that I was going to get smacked down on. Um, but got the job and the students were fantastic. I mean, they were amazing kids and you know, we were both like, like crazy racist to each other at first in some ways. And they would say things like, Hey, does your family own that like laundromat across the, <laughs> and you'd be wow. like, 
Well, let's talk about this. Um, but they were just, um, I don't know, they were just really um, intense and um, emotionally, like, mature kids. And I loved it. And I just had this, like, thing that I was like, you know, I know a little bit about what education can do. And I wanted to give a little of that back to them. But then also recognized how, like, what it was like. Because, for example, we went on a field trip and we were in Manhattan. So this was, like, midtown Manhattan during the day. And, again, like, I don't look like a teacher. I look like one of the students. And so there was, I think, 20 of us. And we were going to go to one of the science museums and check it out. And the kids were super excited about it. And we were having a great time. But then I remember walking down the street and people would cross the street over and over again. So every time we saw us, they would just cross the street. And... Like, every time someone did that, like, you could tell it really affected the kids. And so by the time we actually got to the museum, they were, you know, like, so much more quiet than they were at the beginning. Right. And I I didn't know what to say to them, actually. I mean, we just kind of shared that moment, but I didn't know what to say. Um, so I think I learned as much from them as, you know, absolutely did from me, and I was just really cheering them on, but there were so many things that were broken about the public school system and how corrupt it was and how I just saw how little it actually was about the students in a lot of ways. So I just like, I, I can't do this. So, um, so then I thought, do I want to keep going and like maybe become a principal or something? And I just thought, no, I'm not sure I want to do that. And so then I thought, oh my God, is my only other option like going back to medical school? So... However crabby I was my junior year in college, I was like twice as and ten times as crabby like now because I was like, what the hell am I going to do? Like now my life is really over. Um, And I was dating someone at the time and he said, you're driving me crazy and probably everyone else. You should do something to de-stress yourself. You should take, um, I, it was him saying, I in high school took a ceramics class. You should take a ceramics class. I bet you you would really like it. And because he had recommended it, I naturally said no. <laughs> That's a stupid idea. <laughs> I'm just going to wallow in my like anger and frustration and just be like miserable. Um, but then a friend of mine, I think about a month later, said, Hey, I'm going to take this ceramics class. Do you want to take this class? And I was like, Oh my God, the total is like, what? <laughs> um, <laughs> Because that's how <laughs> you learn. <laughs> yep. That sounds about right. Because um, you're independent. And, right, right. Right. And, and, um, and like the whole idea of mansplaining, <laughs> uh, I, uh, I just realized that I was kind of living with that. And I thought that that's just because he knew what he was doing and I didn't. And he's a, he's a delightful, like lovely human being. But he would say, like, I have a, a hero complex. Like, I want to be the hero. And, and then I, there was a point where I said, I don't want a hero. I just want, um, I just want to be myself. Can I, can I be myself? No, you're not gonna let me be myself. No, I'm not going to do this Robert's class. <laughs> so, um, but when I tried it, I just, I don't know. There was something about it that I just immediately loved. I couldn't explain it. And it was, it was great to just touch this thing and you would suddenly like change it, you know? And interestingly enough, when I was, when I was little, like I had actually played the piano quite seriously, Korean, right? So this is not surprising. (laughs) Um, but I also in medical school thought, or like in the idea of like medical school, I wanted to be like a surgeon and work with my hands. So everything was about like this tactile experience. Right. So totally was like, Oh my God, this is the most amazing thing. This is so much fun. And I really got into it. So I would take one class and then I'd take another two classes. And then I said, you know, can I be one of the technicians and just learn, Um, and then around that time, my partner said, you really seem to be like thriving. Like you're really waking up. Maybe you should try and do this, like become a potter, you know, (laughs) and like sell pots at the Fremont fair or something like that. And again, you know, like immigrant daughter, I was like, no, that's not a job. That sounds so (laughs) impractical. Right. (laughs) How would I make money? (laughs) Um, and so squash, squash, squash down, you know, right. don't talk about right. it. So another one, really, really loving it. And everyone's trying to support me and saying, oh, you know, like we can teach you how to make glazes and everything. And I was really like, I was just getting totally into it and now making ceramic sculptures. Then, um, then it comes up again and he says, 
No, seriously, like you really seem, for the first time, you really seem to be into this thing like nothing else. Like you're just throwing yourself in this. And I said, no, you can't do that. That's not a, that's not, I mean, what would I be, you know? And he said to me, and I'm always grateful for him for saying this. He said, you know, Susie, there are very, very few people in the world who get to do what they want. And he was talking about it not only in terms of, you know, finding a passion and knowing that, but of course, looking at the global state of what was happening and saying, if you're trying to survive or you're in a place with a lot of conflict, or if you are a woman in an oppressed society, you, there's no way you could even like sit around and go, ah, I wonder if I could be a ceramic artist, you know? Um, so it was, again, it was like this like really amazing smack in the face and he said, so, you know, given the fact that there's so few people who have that opportunity, it's a tragedy if you don't try. And that's how he framed it. I just got chills. Yeah. Um, so what did you do with that information? Well, you just kind of go, whoa, right? Like it reframes yeah. it because it was, and again, kind of like when I was in the, the alternative school, like I actually really value when life really smacks you in the head and go, seriously, it's not all about you, right? Or it's not all about this thing. And like, if you just reframe it and try to look at things in a different way, you'll realize how fortunate you are or how, you know, naive you've been or whatever, you know, whatever that, that thing is. And so I was like, oh my God, you're right. I should try. And then you realize like the trying is one thing, but that you, you can always do other things, right? So that was the thing I needed to do was to say, I wanted to try. So, so I was like, all right, roll up my sleeve. I want to be a ceramic artist, right? And I don't even know what the hell that meant. Cause I didn't take any classes in like college nor high school or anything. And I was like, I don't even know. What do you do? <laughs> um, and so I would try to, you know, apply to shows. And then I got like a little small residency in Kirkland and, was doing like a resident artist thing at the Kirkland Art Center, which is kind of the the birthplace of where all of this happened. And so, but I kept thinking, oh my God, this is insane. Like, how do I know what I'm doing? Like, you know, everything else that I had done was like, here's a class, you get a grade in the class, and then we give you a degree and we tell you that that's what the thing you are is, you know? But like this, you just finished a class and you're like, I don't know, did I do a good job? I have no idea. You didn't grade me. Like, you know, there was nothing, nothing. There's <laughs> so, not that feed. Yeah. Yeah. The only look, feedback you have is how co like confident and successful you feel in your own work. Yeah, but who, I, there was nothing about like, nothing right. in my life was like, that's how you should identify yourself. It was like, there was a track and the external world validated you. Right. right. Which if you think about med school, it's like you go to, you know, you take a, the MCATs, which is the medical school exam. You get a you know, certain score, then you get into the school, then you get the degree, then you get into the blah, and then you get the job. And then everyone's like, and here's the DR that tells you exactly what you are in this world. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm an artist ever, you know, like, I just know, like, am I a potter? Am I, bleh? and so none of those made sense to me. Um, meanwhile, like, obviously it's, it was like the worst thing in the world because I would make these really shitty things and like, they look, I could tell they were just like ugly, dumpy, stupid little things. And I would get so frustrated, right? Because you're talking like from again, like straight A, you know, non-rebellious kid to this, like, oh my God, this is like the worst thing ever. <laughs> So I would be like, this is so gross. Um, and I would look to my partner and say, how can I do this better? Right. Cause I was looking for an external source to say, how do I make this better? So he would actually always come in and be like, you should do this. Or you need to make 20 more drawings or, you know, this composition isn't right. Um, and I would follow it and I'd be like, okay, great. This is great. Right. So there's always like a way to get back on the track. Um, and then we were kind of working on a sculpture together and then they went out of town for a couple uh, days and I decided to change something and I'm sort of doing <sighs> air quotes because like, oh, dear, yeah. I know and so I was like and I started splashing things around and, da, 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 and everything and then I was kind of happy with it right so when he came back I was like hey check it out this is really cool and he looked at it and he said Susie what did you do and I said I I just wanted to make add a little more texture you know this kind of thing and he goes no this looks horrible and I said oh actually I kind of I kind of like it now right and he goes, no, 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 this, no, no, you, we need to change this back. This is not good. And I said, no, I kind of like it really. And like, now we're starting to escalate because it's partner, right? It's like right. romantic partner. Right. It's right. like head to head. 
and we're just keep escalating this this kind of thing. And I'm like, no, actually, I kind of want to do it this way. And he's like, no, 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 you don't want to do it this way. It's not going to be good. And then, you know, I say something, and then he finally says, um, he says, Susie, no professional artist would ever show this. And somehow that just killed me, right? Because it was like every insecurity I potentially had about who I could be, he just like wiped out for me, right? And I know, I mean, he's a really smart guy, so I know that he was saying that because he was frustrated. Right. But it was devastating to me because it was like, I already didn't think I could be a professional artist. And then he was saying, your decision-making process would actually not allow you to become professional. So (laughs) naturally (laughs) what I did was I destroyed the sculpture and I threw paint cans across the wall. I was furious. Um, and so, like, <laughs> the garage that I was working in, like, it looked like a, like some, like, small bomb had exploded Crime in there. Yeah. Um, he disappears for a little while because he's like, oh, shit. Um, he comes back and he actually has flowers because he knows. He's like, it's a really shitty thing to say. And when I look back on that piece, he was, like, trying to be one of those, like, helicopter parents where he's like, right. I know the right way. You have to do it this way because otherwise you're going to embarrass yourself. And I don't want you to be embarrassed because I love who, you know, I love you. Right. And me trying to say like, actually, like, I don't know if I'm, I, I, I don't know if I'm going to be embarrassed or not. You know, you don't know. So, um, at, at that point and a, a little bit later, I actually asked to be, I asked to separate from him. And the reason that I asked, which is like almost, it feels like one of those like after school specials, but it was <laughs> really what I said right. was, um, I said, I, I need to know that I can make my own mistakes and that I won't, like, not die from them, basically. Yeah. And um, that was the thing. I just said, I, I feel like I'm going to be, uh, you know, and this was in Redmond. So, you know, it was like in suburbia kind of yeah. thing. And I saw a lot of women that I felt like were very, you know, intelligent women, but they had, like, no identity. And they were so anxious and insecure about who they were. They were married to these Microsofties. And I just was like, I don't want to be that. And they felt so dependent on their partner for everything. And I saw myself going that road. And I said, I don't, I don't, I don't think I, I can't be 40 and not know who I am. And I, I had felt that I was very secure about who I was at 17 before I went to college. Um, and then was trying to get on a road of redefining myself and then realizing that having my partner who was, you know, incredibly supportive, you know, had financially supported me and all of this kind of thing was also the thing that wouldn't allow me to, to, to get bigger basically. And so that's the thing I said, I, I need to be able to know I can make my own mistakes. Um, and they have to be my mistakes. They can't be your mistakes. They can't be our mistakes. They have to be mine. Um, and he said, yeah, this is a really brave thing for you to do. And he said, um, I will, <laughs> and of course, naturally he's like, I will support you. <laughs> and that's what he did. Right. So, um, we were married and I said, it's, it's the best divorce a person could have. Like it was a very loving divorce where, you know, it was almost like parent or child or something where the, you know, he's trying really hard not to get involved, but you can tell he's worried. <laughs> And I'm like, ha, I don't think I know how to do this. Just kidding. Just kidding. Let's go back. Um, but you just keep going forward because that's what life does, right? It just kind of throws these other things to you. So that's what happened. And from there, I moved out of Redmond into Seattle, got, uh, got my MFA at UW, and totally clueless the entire time I was at grad school. Like, everyone else had done some kind of art experience before, and I just kept thinking, imposter don't know what bifurcation means, right. you know, like, why are you talking about dichotomies, you know? And so I just was like, oh, I'm just going <laughs> to pretend to be an artist here. <laughs> I'll wear car hearts. That's fine. <laughs> this is, this is the costume. This is what, okay. Yep. This yep. is what I do. All right. I yep. got it. I got, you need art books on the wall. Great. I'll, I'll get those too. Um, <laughs> like the art direction of your life so that you, <laughs> Look like, like the character you want to play. Yeah, yeah, like smile so that you'll actually like you know yeah. like feel better. And sometimes that works, right? And so I was like, oh, this is this is clearly what a person, <laughs> this is what an artist does. <laughs> oh, I love I love that so much. Um, <laughs> but somewhere in between there, I had switched in grad school from being a clay artist to being a digital media artist, and 
it made sense to me because I loved clay. I loved liquid clay. I loved raw clay. I loved when it was like brittle. But the moment you fired it and it became this permanent thing, I would always be like, oh shit. Now I got this like crappy thing again. Like I can't destroy it. It's like I can't reverse it. Um, so then I would just stop making things because I never want to fire them. I would always just like get to the right to the end and then I would throw right. it back in the, the bucket. Um, but this was also the time that I had gotten divorced and was trying to figure out like who I was and was looking very closely at the parallel life that I could have been like, you know, about saying, I, you know, here we say, you know, I could be in the Midwest, I could be an English teacher, right? Like, you know, that parallel path. I have to tell, yes, I have this, um, (laughs) my first real boyfriend in college, um, he ended up going, going to, gosh, it was two two Ivy League schools for his master's and PhD, and now he teaches at a third Ivy League school. Um, and his last name was Nash. And so I'm like, there's this whole... I have, like, a whole best Kitty Nash. Kitty Nash, faculty yeah. wife at the yeah. Ivy League. Oh, yeah. She jocks all the time. <laughs> she wears Lululemon. She has a high, tight ponytail and 2.5 children. She's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. So I just had to give a shout because I'm very fond of my alter ego, yeah. Kitty Nash. Kitty Nash. <laughs> yeah. And it's not unreasonable, right? It didn't. It only takes a few key decisions for you right. to be that person. Kitty Nash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I would have been in North Dakota, you know. Right. Thing. Um, so I was looking at that and kind of mourning it, though, because there was something really secure about that. Right? It seems easier, right? Yeah. It seems like it would have been easier to do that. Yeah. Well, it was also like a known, right? Like you, right. you knew what the thing could be that you were supposed to do. You would do what everyone else did. And I would look at that and I'd be like, oh, I'm sitting here in my studio and I have no fucking idea what I'm going to make. And then there's a crit coming up tomorrow. It's going to be horrible. Everyone's going to talk about things that I don't even understand. And I'm just going to use, I'm just going to throw out the word Picasso just because, you know, like. <laughs> so, um, so that grieving process made me realize, like, I want to work with materials that are like ephemeral because everything felt like it was so unstable and that everything was changing. So I did have a really shitty crit with the last like plaster and clay object and they were like tiny little things and everybody was like, why are you making such wimpy, tiny little things, Susie? And I was like, because I'm feeling deeply insecure about who I am, but thanks, you know? Um, so I was furious though, right? Because everyone was like, this work is boring. We can't believe it. We're so disappointed. Um, which is actually a good way to get me like pissed off and then to do something radical, um, just as an I totally resonate with that statement. <laughs> so I, um, I remember that they had extra video cameras and I just decided, and it's like, in, it's not a very good piece at all, but it was the first step where I just said, I'm just going to film my hands digging and that's it. And I don't know what I'm digging for. You don't know what I'm digging for. Um, it's not supposed to be a narrative film, but that's just a gesture. And I'm going to project it on something. Because I was like, you know, I understood sculpture on a sculptural form of like a, a heap of like, you know, dirt or something like that. But something about it, like when I showed that piece, everyone's like, oh, this is interesting. You know, like there's something here. Like, and I was like, and I knew it too, right? And that was what the first time when some gut feeling of mine was resonating with like what other people were saying. And that was like, Oh my God, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. Oh my God. So I kept going down that path. And by the time I graduated, there's this piece that I, um, and the title is called consummation. So it was about, you know, like, uh, it was the idea of things being consumed, but also like of things being joined together. And it's, um, it's the shadow of two spring stew strings next to each other burning but they actually like touch each other and they intertwine with each other, but they keep burning and burning, burning. And I had rotated it. So it's actually 90 degrees. So it was actually going across almost like a person's life in a way. And then at the very end, all you have are these ashes and it just like disappears and it goes across the sculpture and the sculpture was the length of my body. And it's like, it's like actually still one of my favorite pieces that I've ever made. And it's like, that's kind of sad because I made it in grad school, but (laughs) I knew like when I saw that piece or when I started making that piece, I knew, like, there was something right about this. And that feeling I have been able to take forward because it's not like, and you know, you know this as a creative, Katie, it's like, it's not like everything we do is like, this is genius, right? Sometimes you're like... (laughs) 
it can't, it can't be, and it holds so many people back, you know, I can't create unless it's perfect. No. Right. You have to... You make a lot of Make things. a scope of work. Yes. Mm-hmm. But every once in a while, you'll get that feeling, you're like, this yes. is... Yes! Right? Um, and that, it's almost like a drug, right? You oh, like, God. You go for yeah. the next one. Right. But then if you go for it, you're never going to do it, so then you have to, like, let go of all those preconceived <sighs> notions. Yeah. But that was, like, one time when I just thought, after that first, like, digging, that it just everything landed and I just knew and I was like I don't even need a crit for other people to tell me if this is good or not and that was again like it was like another string that was being like cut off where I was like I don't need someone to tell me from the external validation of like a degree means you're this I don't need a partner to tell me how to do something because this is how you're doing it and then it was I don't need a critique of a of a professor saying oh you this is good or bad um, like I was like, I just know it. I just know that this is the right piece to make at this time. And it was totally true. So, um, uh, it was like, um, you know, it just, and again, like, I think the timing is, um, interesting because if you crest at the right time that people are looking at you, then things happen. Right. But if you crest before, or after that, sometimes like. And timing is like, it's heartbreaking almost because it, it, it's not within your control at some level, but I just, I just happened to crest at the right time when everybody was looking at the graduates and what they were doing. And so the galleries were looking at da, 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 da. And something was like, holy shit. Like I've actually got a gallery, you know, I've got reviews and all these things that you check out, check off as being like, that's what an artist gets. Um, and that was before 2008. Mm. So crazy. All, everything was going crazy. And uh, my gallerist at the time uh, took the work to Miami, to Miami Art Basel. And that piece sold out within 24 hours. Wow. And it wasn't just one. It was an edition of five. And I didn't even know you could make editions of work. He had to actually sit down and explain to me and say, Susie, so when you make work, you can sell editions of it. It's not just one-off. Um, would you like to do that? And I was like, that sounds like a good idea. Um, but I didn't know how to fabricate things like, you know, a mass producer. Or I didn't know how to collaborate with other people. I'd always thought that being an artist, air quote again, was you had your own studio <laughs> and you sit there and you think of brilliant ideas and then you execute it with your own hands. So going like, yeah, no, there's no way I'm going to be able to make. Actually, there was eight of those pieces that I need to make. I, there was no way I could make eight of those by myself. Um so I suddenly had to learn how to collaborate and contract people out. And then again, you're like, am I an artist still? Like, you know, like if I'm not making it with my own hands, like why am I not just like a, I don't know, some kind of like furniture designer or something, you know? Right. Um, so then you go through another existential dilemma. It's like, what does an artist mean? You know? <laughs> um, so then I, uh, but the, that's the only way that it, I could do it. So then that happened. And then you're like, you know, one thing leads to another. You get other opportunities because one leads to another. Um, and I'm a fairly responsible human being. So, you know, that's the other part is that people thinking that artists are flaky or that they're unprofessional. Grr. Yeah. Like, it was so not true. And everyone that I knew who was an artist and, and successful was like, you know, I mean, you know this, Katie. It's like, you know, you can't not be that. Like, it has to be a discipline. Yep. It has to be a discipline or a practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yep. you have to show up. Right. Um, so this is all great and good. And, you know, I'm doing one thing after another. Da, da, da. But I always felt it was really weird to sell work. And it wasn't that I wasn't happy when it sold. But it wasn't the thing that drove me, and that was, I don't know, there was something about that that just was like, every time a gallery would be like, okay, you're going to have a show, and we're going to put a price on this work, and I would be like, oh, God, I know, we have to do this. And then there would be this crazy pressure, because I would feel bad, because if I didn't sell work, then I knew it was hard on them, and da-da-da-da-da. Um, I was tutoring at the time, so thank God for my science degree, because I still could, like, make money on the side. Um and it just, I don't know, there's something about it that just didn't feel right. But, you know, again, you like have a little voice and you're like, shut up. This is the art world. Stop, stop being a troublemaker. And don't be difficult. Yeah. Don't be difficult. <laughs> <laughs> there's no other way to do this. This is what the art world is. The art world is about making objects and then having them in museums and selling them in galleries. Like that's what you do. 
and then you have residences every once in a while to make more objects, and then you sell those objects again. So it was like that was a cycle. And there was just something about it that I just, it just couldn't feel right. So, and let's say, let's fast forward to like 2013. And now okay. we're actually going to launch into like how Siren even came about. Which I do think of as being absolutely an extension of my art practice. So. I love that so much. Well, the transition is that this is now 2013. I had just finished a body of work that was um, investigating and looking at the frackers in North Dakota. So I went back home. This was 20 years after leaving the first time, seeing out how it changed the entire state and the perception of like what North Dakota was. Um, but I had really gotten to know some of the oil rig guys. And I said, you know, I'm having a show. It's actually just a few hours away in Grand Forks, North Dakota. Your work, you will actually be part of the show. Will you please come? And they would always say, oh, yeah, no, I can't. I mean, I got to work 12 hours, you know. And and is it open, like, at 9, 8, 9 p.m. or something? And I'd always say, oh, no, like, the museum's open from 11 to 5. <laughs> right. You know? Um, and so no one could see the show. So this thing that was trying to explore and honor who they were as individuals None of them got to see it, and it wasn't that far away. So I kind of went through another existential crisis where I was like, who am I making this work for, you know? And I looked back at the fact that, you know, I did want to be a doctor, right? And I did want to be a teacher, and these were in service to a larger thing. And suddenly as an artist, I'm like, who am I in service to? Like, these collectors? Like, (laughs) I just didn't know. Like, curators? Um, Like, that's not who I'm excited about, quote-unquote, pleasing, you know? Right. so I went into kind of a funk where, again, like that little voice inside my head was like saying, Susie, you're getting great opportunities, you know, like you can absolutely just keep going on this. This would be great. Just shut up. This is what everybody would want as an artist. How can you be so ungrateful about like questioning, questioning the system? <laughs> um, but the more that that voice was like, no, stop, stop. Like, of course, the more that I was like, oh, something's wrong, you know? Um, so... Meanwhile, like, so there's that little part of my head kind of doing that thing. Then I actually reluctantly got a smartphone. So I had got, I was like with a little Nokia flip phone until then. So 2013, decided to get my first iPhone. That was about the time I got my first iPhone. Really? Yeah. And you were at a flip phone beforehand? Twelve, maybe 2012. Yeah, but. My yeah. friends were getting crabby at me because they would try to send me photos and then my phone wouldn't be like, I don't know how to open this. <laughs> Well, I just would be like error in it. And I don't know what that means. And I wasn't trying, like, I was a technology artist. It wasn't like I was anti-technology, but I kept going, I have a laptop and I have this phone. I don't really understand why I need anything more. Right. Um, and they would say, no, you've got to have this phone. And I'm like, I have a good phone. It's actually a really good phone. And, and you know this, Katie. It's like, you can throw that phone everywhere and it just never broke. <laughs> It's indestructible. Why would I, okay. And I could text without looking because, you know, it was tactile. So yeah. you know how they said that was predictive text? Like, yes, I could do that yes, pretty yes, fast, yes. actually. So I was like, this is all you need. Um, but for an art project, I needed to tether my phone to this object. And obviously, my little flip phone couldn't do that. So I got an iPhone 5. Hated it. Hated it for the first, like, two weeks because I'm like... This smooth screen, I can't, I have to focus on this thing. I can't, like, look away. There's nothing tactile. And I would ask people, what do you do with your phones? Like, what, what kind of apps do you have? I don't understand. Like, do you have a metronome app? Or do, do you have a, what, what do you do? And they would just say, I don't know. Like, put put in, like, Facebook or something. And I wasn't on Facebook. So I'm like, oh, okay. Well, why would I do that? Um <laughs> So you're reluctantly figuring out what the phone does. Yeah, and I have a really horrible sense of direction. So with my flip phone, I actually had what I call um, um, analog OnStar because I had three friends who would oftentimes be at their desk working, and I could call them pretty much any time, and they'd pick up their phone, and I would say, oh, my God. Out of the corner of blah and blah. I need to get here. How do I get there? And they would always like to tell me. <laughs> so you have your Nokia flip phone. Yeah. They're telling you, they're using their smartphone or their computer to yeah. tell you how to get where exactly. you need to go. And they'd say things like, okay, go five blocks and then turn here. And I'd always call it like, in a panic because I'm always lost, you know. Right. And it's not even just like Seattle. It would be 
LA. I would call them and say, I'm in the middle of LA. I'm trying to get here. How do I get here? It's 9 p.m. And always, uh, if one of them wouldn't answer, then the second one would, you know, like it, right. <laughs> it was just this thing. So then when I actually got a smartphone and said, oh, I see that people use this map thing to get around. <laughs> um, one of my friends said, I, I'm kind of sad because this little part of our relationship clearly, even though it was super annoying, will kind of die now because you won't need to call me to get anywhere. And, you know, it's like, that's such a funny thing to say. Like, you know, right. like, oh, you're not going to ever call me like in a panic. <laughs> um, so that's the second note. So you have this like question about what the art world is and what the impact is on the larger society. And then you have this idea, like the smartphone thing. Right. Um, and then my friends, so now my friends are like in their thirties and forties and they're working really hard. And if they're single, they're like, I can't find people. Like, I just don't know how to meet people. I'm not going to go to a bar. I'm certainly not going to go to a dance club. I have to use these like online sites and they're horrible. And I was like, Oh, what, what are these like? And they're like, yeah, like check out OkCupid or MASH. And I'd never seen, like heard of any of these before. And I was like, oh. And then immediately, because I was single at the time, I was like, oh, this this is really creepy. Like I feel really uncomfortable as a woman. I would never want to do this. Um, right. And I couldn't quit, quite pinpoint what it was that made me uncomfortable. But I thought, I know, even without having ever created a profile or having done it before, I know that if I put something out there, it's almost like I'm saying, world, you get to judge me and you will now send me these messages that I know will be kind of uncomfortable because every once in a while in real life that'll happen, right? Somebody will be like, you know, the cat calls or the whatever. And you're just like, uh, why would I want to do that? So I was like, there's a better way to do this. And you just have to allow women to feel more comfortable in this space and actually be able to control who sees them. Um, but I knew there must have been something out there like that. So I asked all my friends who were like really good Google searchers. And I said, just find a site, a dating site where women could control their photo visibility. And they couldn't find anything. And they said, well, there's ones that are totally anonymous. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't want it to be anonymous. I just want to be like, I know there's a human being there, but I'm just not sure who she is yet until she says she's interested in me. And then the other part was that I was looking at like, um, uh, that's, that's Asa, uh, <laughs> Asa, if you hear uh, our, our, our dog, who's our sidekick, yeah. your dog, who's a bit of a, our sidekick today, yeah, getting, getting involved in the interview right now. <laughs> That's right, right? Um, so the so the other part was I was looking at like Facebook and Twitter now and thinking, how is it that the sites that are dating sites look like morgues of profiles? Like you don't know if they're human beings because you don't know like when like there's no activity, right? Whereas when you get on Facebook, you're like, da, 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 people are talking and they're like, you know, adding stuff. So I said, you need to have something like that because isn't that how you want to meet people is almost like a dinner party where you feel comfortable about it. There's like conversation going, you get to know about the personality, but you also kind of see them and da, 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 and you get like, to see their behavior instead of what they think the best avatar of themselves is. Yes. And I, I just, I was like, I can't trust this avatar. How do I know? And especially if they say things like, you know, Love to go on my yacht, you know, <laughs> <laughs> on the weekend. So, I like whatever. Whenever I read a profile that's like I'm super into CrossFit, I'm just like, no, right. no, right. no. I have nothing personally against CrossFit particularly, yeah. but it's it's like nails on a chalkboard to me reading right. that. <laughs> um, are people who are just like, oh, I'm just so, you know, just involved with life. I'm super engaged. <laughs> yeah. So I, um, I just said you need both. You need some way to get a sense of a person's personality, some way to start a conversation. You need to make me laugh. I think that's going to help a lot. Right. Yep. I don't see how a static profile is going to make me laugh except laugh at them, which is kind of sad. And then I said, and I want to be able to, as a woman, say, I don't want my students, especially since I'm a tutor, right, or as an artist, I don't want people who I would not want to have that conversation with about uh, private life to know that I'm on this site. And I said, I don't think I'm being approved. I just know that this is how I would navigate in the real world, which is right. if I'm in a business meeting or like a, an art meeting, I don't go, oh, by the way, I'm really horny. <laughs> Let's go back to like talking about, you know, this collaboration. Right. 
So I was like, how weird is it that somehow I could potentially be on the site and a student who happens to have a profile would see me and then go, oh, I didn't realize Miss Lee was single. Super awkward. Um, so yeah, so I was like, I think, uh, so I would tell my friends and I'd say, see these little squares on the people's phones? Apparently they're really important. And so we're going to make one of these little squares. And that was it. So, yep. How? <laughs> So you have this great idea. Well, I think it's a sensible idea. So when right. I talk to people, I have you ever had that thing where, at least for me, because again, Asian, driven by like shame and embarrassment and guilt, um, still, um, <laughs> if I if I know I need to do something, I will speak it into existence so that people will know about it and they're like witnesses and they will say, oh. Susie, you said you were going to join the gym. Did you do that? That's what I, a very last minute this year, applied for an MFA program. I was going to take Ooh. off a year. Last year, I auditioned for a lot of acting ones, but very last minute, um, I, I had 10 days to put the application together. So every day <laughs> I was telling people like, yeah, yeah, the essays, I'm writing the essay. I'm writing the essay. You know, I totally get it. Absolutely. <laughs> I get it. I'm writing the essay. Yeah. Are you, are you writing the essay? Yeah. How's that going? It's happening. Right. <laughs> and that social pressure finally just gets to you and you're like, I really have to fucking write this essay. Yeah. Or no one will take me seriously. Right. So I said, I think I'm going to make this app. That's what they call these things. They're not websites. They're apps. <laughs> um, I, I, I didn't understand at the time what the difference was. And I said, I would like it so that women would feel comfortable. And the way we're going to do it simply is by allowing them to control who sees their photo. However, everybody's... Um, everybody's going to start to be like part of a conversation because what we'll do is we'll have prompts for people to actually start conversations. And I said, I know since I have a little bit of social anxiety that if I go to a cocktail party or something, if the host comes up to me and says, oh my gosh, Susie, it's great to see you. Let me introduce you to so-and-so because you both are artists, for example, right? That's all the prompt I need. They don't have to like sit there and like babysit me, but I just need a prompt, you know? And so I thought, that's how I would want to meet somebody is, you know, the way someone answered a question is kind of like quirky or somewhat the way I would answer, but not quite. Um, so I said, we just gotta have these daily questions. And, um, and if they're good questions, if you lie, it's not going to get you any further than like telling the truth. So like that idea of being authentic, is just going to kind of happen naturally. And so we did it and then we launched a little beta and it's like an art show, you know, where at first it's just your friends and your friends of your friends. And right. so you're like, woo, we did the thing. But then their friends started recommending it to their other friends. And suddenly you're seeing profiles come on and answering questions that are like, I don't know that person. Right. So it's like that art show or, you know, the performance where it's like, oh my God, there's other we have fans. <laughs> Um, and then one thing led to another and then we got like a whole spate of press because apparently it was radical at the time to do something that was quote unquote female friendly. And Katrina, my uh, co-founder, we never thought of it as being like, we are female founders doing a female friendly app. We were just saying, how would we meet somebody that was really cool? Well, this is kind of the way we would do it. And even when I thought about like how I would have met my potential exes or my, my exes potentially online. There was no way. Right. Like I would have not been attracted to their, just their photo. And if they had tried to do some kind of weird self-marketing blurb, I would have been like, wow, pompous ass, you know? <laughs> um, so, but they were all really funny. And that's what I liked about them was that something about them just made me go, I don't know. There's something about you. I just, let's keep talking. Um, and that's what I wanted to create that environment was I'm like, there's just something about you. Like, let's keep talking. So that's what we did. And then, um, and then suddenly it became interesting and weird, but now I had enough training of being like, I don't need someone else's validation to say what I am. So that was like, I, I feel like Katie, it's like, I'm finally doing something where I'm like, I know this is absolutely the thing that I'm supposed to be doing right you know, like the first time I was an artist, it was like, I was struggling so hard to kind of be the artist that everyone said was an artist. And when I wasn't that thing and like selling all this work, I'm like, Oh, I'm not really an artist. I'm just a idea person. Um, but knowing that I'm like, no, as an artist, like I would every day have a certain kind of practice. And like, that's why I know I'm an artist. When I jumped into this space of technology, I'm like, yeah, 
I know how to do tech. I know how to do collaboration. Um, I am still an artist because I certainly don't have an MBA or a degree in computer science. So I have to be an artist in this space. Um, so I said, I'm just an artist using technology. And then I was like, oh, well, you know what people do apparently when they have like apps is they start companies. <laughs> so you can get online and Google and be like, how do you start a company? <laughs> and then we just do that. We were like, filled out the paperwork and it was just like, like over a weekend and like sweatpants going like, let's be a corporation. Oh my God, this is going to be so much fun. <laughs> suddenly if you're a corporation you have things called shares and you suddenly have like investors and all these weird things and I was like oh my god this is crazy because suddenly my relationship to money was really different than it was in the art world which is like I was a grateful beggar always just trying to go like please give me that two thousand dollars to like execute my idea and I was now asking people for like twenty fifty hundred thousand dollars because it was a company and it was an app and it was a business and it was in tech. So I couldn't wrap my head around these things at the time. But I was like, why can't an artist ask for these kinds of sums of money unapologetically? So it was a really good exercise to do that. But then there was a small part of the art world that got really crappy with me and said, you're not an artist anymore. You're just a person in tech. You've like abandoned the art world. And I was like, yeah, haters can hate, but I was like, I'm not. No, I, I absolutely am an artist. And I know the reason that I'm an artist in this space is because what I'm trying to do is relevant to my practice, which is something about an impact in society, right? Um, it's about thinking about how to use technology to amplify something about humanity. And like, I'm doing the same things I know how to do as an artist. I'm just applying it in this space. So you know, I'll learn and I'll learn how to do, you know, how to run a business, right? Like, but I know other artists who will do the same thing and they are artists in that space. And then interestingly enough, I think that the art world started to also shift. And you saw this where, you know, people started to migrate away from consumption and mm. buying objects so much and being so infatuated with that. And 2008 and 2010 sort of was like, Hey, you know, like there's a, there's a, there's a reckoning happening. Um, and museums were also starting to ask questions about, like, who were the interesting artists and what they were doing? So, you know, like, Theaster Gates is an artist in Chicago, and he was working with a hat, and, you know, one of his hats is in, like, civics and something in the neighborhoods, and it's, like, revitalizing, like, decaying neighborhoods in, in Chicago. But he's an artist, absolutely. Um, so the idea of an artist's practice when it's out-applied into the real world is a really interesting thing. But... You know, to me now, it's like the most interesting artists aren't like they're just theoretical, right? They're not like, hey, I have this idea and it's like half-assed prototype and then I'm going to slap it on the wall and then someone's going to buy it. I'm like, no, you can really follow through on something in which you say, my goal is actually to have a real-world impact, but my voice in this space is as an artist. So I'm not an architect. I'm not a, you know, urban planner. I'm, you know, I'm hybridizing all of these things into a practice. And that's what I was saying. I'm like, I believe that technology, and then of course I smack dabbed into that whole like gender issues where I would walk into these spaces and be like, um, okay, tech people, is there, does anyone not realize how weird this is? But I'm like the only woman in here. Eh, weird. Like didn't have that in the art world. Didn't have that in education. Consistently over and over again would be like, there's so few women in tech. And I'm like, Why? <laughs> And then I realized, I'm like, oh, because it's really weird out here to be the only woman in X, Y, and Z. Um, so suddenly you're like, oh, now I am a female artist and a woman of color entering a space that absolutely needs to have these kind of voices to really claim that they're going to be inclusive and, 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 and innovative. They don't know how to do it because they don't think there's a problem. Until I actually sit here and I go, actually, you know what? Women do feel uncomfortable online. And a white dude would be like, why? They're actually gatekeepers anyways. Like, who cares? Like, and you're like, mm, no empathy. Um, or someone would say, you know, oh, the way you guys are doing, Siren, is so radically different than any other online dating. How did you even think about it? And you're just like, well, that's because we normally think outside the box. So to me, I'm like, it's actually really sensible. But to you, because you only follow the tropes that are available, you think it's radical. Um, I just came at it from a very different way. So yeah, I was like, 
that's that's important. Let's talk about some of the kudos that you've gotten. You got app of the year. Is that last year? Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. So um, you had to be nominated for this, and um, I, there was a so GeekWire is a, is a tech magazine. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, they and they do really like us, and so they were like, "Hey, you know, here's the nominations," and we happened to be nominated, and I was like, "Woo!" <laughs> and then I looked at the other nominees, and it was Starbucks, Alaska Airlines. And then two companies that were like, like, you know, 50 or $60 million, like well-funded. And then there was us. And I was like, oh my wow. God, we have to pretend like we're <laughs> legit. We have to show that we know what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was a really great way to, 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 um, get the word out and go, oh my God, vote for us people. Um, and then I remember like I'm sitting at the awards and I'm terrified, right? But, uh, and they, they project, like, all of the different, like, apps that are up, and it's, like, on this giant screen, and I'm looking at this, and I'm seeing, like, Alaska Airlines going, like, oh, there's no fucking way. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is so stupid. I can't Why am I here? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I also don't like to be out in public and public speaking, so I'm, like, oh, my God, I'm going to faint, and I don't know why I'm here. Um, but I remember, I'm, like, it must, I, if you could have, like, taken a blood sample of me at the time, like, when they announced... I fist pumped and I don't like go to like sports events. I like, like high five the dude next to me. Like, I didn't even know who he was. <laughs> and I was like doing the whole, like, you know, like this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, there was, there must've been such a surge of testosterone in me at the time. Cause I was like, yeah. <laughs> um, but it was because we had a community feel, right? The support was from our community. So, um, we just went out there and was like, this is absolutely the thing that we want people to know about. So yeah, that was fun. Congratulations. And you're consistently, I mean, there's all this great buzz about the app all the time. Uh, how many users are you up to now? We just, um, approached 15,000 registers, registrations. Um, I mean, some people obviously are not on anymore because they hopefully are successful. And we have success stories. Um, I think one of the things that's, um, it's anecdotal, but I think it's indicative is all of my friends who are single tried Siren and all of them are now dating somebody from Siren. Like a hundred percent. I don't even know how to like quantify that in terms of a larger scale or data, but right. I was like, right. Huh. So either I've made uh, an app for my friends <laughs> Or it's actually tapping into something else. And I think what it's tapping into is this idea that, like, you know, a lot of the, the ones that are out that are not, like, the older OkCupids or the matches, um, the the pictures, and you can say it in Facebook, too, right? When someone has, like, too perfect of a photo, you're kind of like, they're like Abercrombie and Fitch models, right? There's, like, something wrong right. about it. You're like, and I don't even know if, I, I don't even know if I want to meet you, right. you know? Um, and this whole idea of like marketing yourself and being like, look how awesome I am. And like, let me tell you about all these awesome things that I do. I don't know. Most of my like normal friends don't like to self market, right? They're not about self promotion. They're just like, look, we all know we're really awesome people, but we don't need to like tell the world about it over and over again. And they're also the ones that don't like constantly like post like food pictures and like, here's my amazing vacations, right? They're like, they're thinkers and they talk about politics and things that they care about, right? It's not like how awesome I am. Um, so I thought, yeah, this site could really just work for people who are slightly introverted and who don't give a shit about like marketing themselves and just want to know if they can have a conversation with somebody. And I'm like, it's just, could I, could I just say like siren is for normal people? I think that you can. And, and one of the other things I really, I personally am a user of the app. And what I personally like about it is that you, a lot of, uh, a lot of apps don't have flexibility in terms of gender identity mm-hmm. or sexuality. Mm-hmm. And you do on this app and it's wonderful to see all the queer identifying people mm-hmm. on there mm-hmm. and Polly and just people who, and I love the brevity of the bio like Twitter, you have 140 characters for your bio. Yeah. And it's, it's fantastic because you can't screw up that badly in 140 characters, right? And, and if you do, then the next day you can recover, right? There's always going to be a new question and a new thing the next day. Um, yeah, the brevity was really to say, you know, oversharing is also psychologically not a good way to meet people because right. either either you're just going to constantly just message each other and you won't meet in real life or some somebody will say something accidentally usually 
that just makes you feel a little weird and you don't, you can't recover like you do in like in the face to face. Right. So like if you said something, Katie, or I did, I was like, weird, Katie, kind of awkward. Then you can be like, Oh my God, so sorry. Right. Right. But like, if you're texting someone, um, like you, you can see that, right. It's like, if you have a misunderstanding then suddenly you're like, Oh my God, this person's such an asshole. I can't believe it. I'm like, block. You know? Um, so our goal is to say, look, we just want you to know that there's just something intriguing about this person. You're open-minded. There's something about Siren because it's progressive and it's about discovery and it's about saying, you know, we welcome everybody and we don't, you know, as long as you're finding what you're looking for, then you don't have to be a siloed community, right? Like, I don't understand why there's like a lesbian app. I'm like, you know, as long as you're finding what you want, we can, we can like help you try to do that. Um, and then to say, look you got to meet in real life because we can't promise chemistry and we never will. We're not going to be like the matches and the okay cupids, but it's like, Hey, you're a 97% match. Um, I don't even know what that means. I'm kind of like, I don't think I again would have matched with any of my relationships before because there's so little actually that overlap, but that's what made them in my life. Great. Because they actually opened up who I was and what I thought about. And, um, how I looked at the world. So I just kept saying, you know, all we can do is give people a safe place to make connections, get intrigued with each other, and then be like, hey, we should meet. And so that's actually that last part we're doing, um, which is to pair up with local culture and give our members opportunities to meet in real life because we're giving them like a discounted ticket to like the opera or the ballet or to SIF, for example, and say, you know, instead of just meeting for coffee all the time, why don't you do something that you actually kind of want to do and then do it together? So, yeah, that's the goal. I <sighs> just, I could talk to you for another hour, but our time is coming, is, is wrapping, wrapping up. Uh, where can people find Siren on social and you as well? Oh, thanks. Um, so if you look in the app store, unfortunately, because of um, all the police sirens out there, it's best to look up Siren Dating. Okay. Um, because otherwise you will download something that will definitely not help you. <laughs> <laughs> Might even hurt your yeah. chances. <laughs> um, or you can get onto our website at appapp.siren.mobi, M-O-B-I. And you can also sign in that way. Um, we do really care about our community and the authenticity of the people there. And we actually really love... The, our members. Um, they're just great human beings. We do ask that they, um, when you download it, there's actually a request for your phone number and we don't do anything with that phone number, but it's a way to validate that you're a real person. That the device that you're using is like the one that you're actually going to use. And it generally cuts down on like fake profiles, right? Because you can only basically make one profile per device. So, um, that's there just for people to know. Um, and yeah, we're just growing our community right now because, as a female-funded company, founded company, it's not like we're being thrown the money that others are. I mean, we are doing sure. okay, but um, we absolutely are asking help to grow our community, like, word, word of mouth. So, yeah. Well, you have been absolutely delightful. And like I said, I could just sit here and watch you talk and listen to you talk for hours more, but I yeah, love... Lisa wouldn't like that. Uh, no, I don't think so. He's, <laughs> he's ready for this podcast to be over. Um but thank you. I just loved all the parallels between art and connecting people and tech. And now my head is swirling and I want to make <laughs> an original one woman show that incorporates like everything you said. And oh my gosh. And anyway, I would see it. You would see it. I would Fantastic. totally see it. Thank you so much well, for thanks, sitting down Katie. to talk with me. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks listeners.